I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, it was 25 years ago that Beverly Laird and Jim Foster started a new organization called Positive Images with the mission of supporting LGBT youth here in Sonoma County. It was a very different time back then, and there were no gay-straight alliances in schools or anywhere else for that matter where young gay and trans people could go for support. This last year, Jim Foster retired, and Positive Images has a new program director, Javier Rosales. He's here tonight with several youth members to talk about the future of PI. And in the second half of our hour, we'll talk with Jace Peoples, a writer for The Advocate magazine and the author of a new children's book called Square Zare Pair. We'll have all of this and much more coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, August 28, 2016. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. The 2016 Olympic Games came to a close last Sunday in Rio, and our colleague Charlie Walters was there from start to finish. Charlie, there were over 50 out LGBT athletes competing this year. How did they do? They did wonderfully. I mean, first of all, that number went from, I think when we first talked, it was around 40. And by the time uh, the Games ended, we were at, I think we're up to 55 now, which is exciting. So we had a lot of people kind of come forward. Um, as the games went on, it was a big success. The actual uh, medal tally, if you will, was around 25 medals for um, Team LGBT, as they're being referred to. So that's actually almost 50% of that group uh, got a medal, either gold, silver, or bronze, which I think is really, really exciting. I had the lucky chance to sit down and talk with about, I think, about a quarter of these athletes. And um, all across the spectrum, you know, some of them from the U.S., which is a place where obviously we're lucky to have a pretty reasonable rights and policies around this issue, but also, you know, talking to people like swimmer um, Amani Fonwa from Tonga, who comes from a place where being gay is actually, you know, completely illegal and in some countries even punishable by death. So I think it was really amazing for especially those people to be out and telling their stories. Terrific. And one of the stories we covered that was really an unfortunate part about uh, the whole LGBT story at the Olympics was the reporter from the Daily Beast who went gay hunting on Grinder. Tell right. us a bit about that and what you know. Yeah, well, this was obviously a really tragic and sad thing that happened, but I, I do have to say, from my perspective, it was an anomaly. Um, other than that one incident, I saw nothing but love and support. For, for the athletes. Um, it was really too bad. I, I was pleased, however, with the response from the IOC and from the USOC who really came down hard on him. Um, and also the athletes who came out on Twitter to say that it was very damaging. I know that a lot of people um, are suffering consequences from that. And it's too bad that somebody would have to do that. It was completely polar opposite of the Olympic spirit. And um, fortunately, I think dealt with in the most appropriate way possible. So as you look yeah. back now at your experience over the, the two plus weeks that you were there, you know, what for you were the real standout highlights of your experience? Yeah. I mean, I, I love the fact that not only we had more LGBT athletes than ever, but from my perspective, there were more LGBT spectators than I've ever seen in an Olympics. Um, everywhere you'd go, there were, I think lots of people that were there to support the athletes and support the games. So that was really cool. Um, and then I think we saw so many landmark historic things happen. You know, there were two LGBT proposals that occurred at the games. That was really exciting. Tom Bosworth was one of them. You guys can check out my interview with him on advocate.com. 
um, about getting down on the beach on his knee and proposing to his boyfriend. That was amazing after finishing the race walk. Um, and then we saw, you know, a trans uh, um, placard bearer from Brazil, a pretty famous uh, trans personality who who was out there in the opening ceremony. The opening ceremony actually started with a gay kiss on a kiss cam. I thought that was really cool. People didn't see that on TV, but for those of us that were there, that's kind of how they started the audience warm up, and it was to resounding applause. The Pride House, um, you know, was 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 small and was independent and was in a fairly rough area of town, but the fact that Erico Santos and his grassroots group kept that going despite a lot of adversity and challenges, certainly budget-wise. Um, I was really proud of them because hopefully the, they kept that torch lit that will be carried to uh, Pyeongchang and Tokyo and beyond. So from my perspective, it was an incredible LGBT Olympics. I think it will look, be always uh, looked back upon as one of the exciting gayest games, if you will, in a great way. And I just hope that this trend continues to future Olympics. And here locally, Petaluma's Mystic Theater is scheduled a September show by reggae artist Sizzla, whose lyrics incite violence against gay men and who makes anti-gay statements during performances. During a 2013 performance at the annual Sting Festival in Kingston, Jamaica, Sizzla spent more than a minute of his set attacking LGBT people. BuzzFeed reported the rhyme that got Sizzla in hot water began as a response to his critics and ended up with him screaming batty man, Jamaican slang equivalent to the word faggot. And he did this while jumping up and down. Sizzla was banned from performing at the festival the following year. On Tuesday, August 3rd, Eureka's Time Standard website was dominated by a large picture of Sizzla under the headline, Sizzla Confirmed for Reggae on the River. The story, if you click through, joyously notes Grammy-nominated Sizzla Kalanji, one of reggae's biggest stars, is finally returning to the U.S. stage after eight years of travel delays. In reality, there were no travel delays. Back in 2008, Sizzla had his travel visa revoked following protests over the violently anti-gay lyrics in some of his songs. The controversy has followed him around the globe. In the past decade, protests have led to concert cancellations in Canada and across Europe. In 2004, the British government considered banning him entirely from entering the UK. The issue of so-called murder music isn't merely an abstract matter of free speech. Human Rights Watch notes that Jamaica's LGBT people are regularly taunted, threatened, fired from their jobs, thrown out of their homes, or worse. A 2014 report from the group documented 56 cases of violence where victims said they were targeted for their real or perceived sexual identity. And the Southern Poverty Law Center notes that according to Jamaica's only LGBT rights group, 98 gay men and lesbians were attacked in that country during a single six-month period in 2007. The Times Standard reports that this will be Sizzla's first performance in the United States since his visa was revoked. The local community is no stranger to murder music. In 2009 and 2010, concerts by fellow hate mongers Buju Banton, Bounty Killer, and Capleton were canceled following threats of protest. The tensions eventually led to a community forum attended by the local venue owners, concert promoters, LGBT groups, and elected officials. The goal was to develop a local no-murder-music agreement, but a planned second meeting and the agreement never happened. And finally, don't forget the 29th annual Art for Life event, which is coming up on Saturday, September 17th at 2 p.m. at the Sebastopol Center for the Arts. This is a benefit supporting face-to-face here in Sonoma County, and it's truly a wonderful event that Tony and I enjoy each and every year. I hope you'll join us for some great food, delicious wine, and wonderful art. Tickets are now available at artforlifef2f.com. 
For more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And for all the latest LGBT news headlines, go to our website at OutBeatNews.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for updates from OutBeat Radio News all week long. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. OutBeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Well, it's hard to imagine a community without some sort of LGBT organization at a local high school, even here in Sonoma County. And that was the case 25 years ago when Beverly Laird and Jim Foster created an organization called Positive Images. Well, the founders have retired, and the organization has a new executive program director, Javier Rosales. And he's here with several of the youth members to tell us all about what's going on at Positive Images today and where the organization is heading. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Hello. Great to have you all here. Javier, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you became the program director. So it was probably in 2000, I think it was 2007, uh, when I decided that I needed to branch out in what I really wanted to do in my kind of, not only work, but it was what I wanted to, to connect with in my community. And so in San Francisco, I saw a huge need for the Latino community to be more connected with um, LGBT rights, policy, uh, and also just having a voice. And so I decided to apply for an internship at the LGBT Community Center in, in San Francisco. And for about eight months, I was able to um, put on San Francisco's first ever gay prom uh, and several other social events that really helped a lot of folks that were marginally housed, um, homeless, uh, giving space where they can be throughout the day and night, uh, as well as food and resources that they were able to connect with. And so the transition, um, three years after that, I, I realized that San Francisco was a little too wild for me. There was a lot of things going on, and I felt like I couldn't really focus. And so a friend brought me up to Santa Rosa, and that's kind of where it all started. And so after graduating from the Santa Rosa Junior College and going to Sonoma State, I was taking a Chicano and Latino Studies course. And in that course, we had to do a, a community project. And with that community project, it had to relate to at least the Latino or Hispanic um, people of color. And so I, as a gay man, wanted to explore what was really happening for my people in, mm-hmm. in Sonoma County. And so I set up a, uh, an interview with Jim. And I said, hey, would it be okay if I came by with a few of my classmates? We're doing a project. would love to ask you some questions about positive images. And so he was like, yeah, come on down. And it was, it was, it was a really great opportunity for us to just kind of get the dog- dialogue going. And so Jim um, said, well, what kind of questions do you have? And I, and I was blunt about it. I said, what are we doing for the Latino community? And so through that process, um, we understood that there needed to be more, both of us. And about three weeks later, um, Jim called me and offered me a position as the outreach coordinator for Positive Images. That was a fortuitous job interview on the spot, wasn't right? It? Right. And so it, it's interesting because I was there interviewing him about his organization uh-huh. and and where it is now, and and quickly was was able to come on board, which was an amazing, amazing opportunity in working with the youth uh, and and being with the organization this long. So terrific. And so. 
Jim moved on and you saw an opportunity and what attracted you, what attracted you to do that? So I left after I graduated from Sonoma state last, um, a year now. Wow. It's been a little bit over a year. Uh, I decided to go to Spain for three months and in Spain, um, I actually left the organization and I didn't think I was going to come back after being in Barcelona for, for quite some time. I felt like I really needed to, to stay there and, and kind of get into my roots in, in Spain. But then after not having enough money, but I also came to a realization that there's a lot here still for me mm-hmm. and I still felt connected. And so when I came back, um, I was talking to both uh, Jim and Nancy and just saying, hey, is there still space? Is there is there an outreach coordinator yet? And there wasn't. And so um, I came back on board. Um, and then several months after that, um, most of the board that is there now uh, asked me if I would be interested in stepping up to program director's role um, to kind of help the organization stay afloat. Because if Jim was coming off, there was a lot of things that needed to be sure. addressed. And so um, it was it was natural and it felt really good. Uh, and I knew that the organization um, was seeking new leadership. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, a- another great, great opportunity. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And, and a lot has changed since Jim and Beverly founded the organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just within Positive Images itself and in terms of how it's grown and, and what it is today, but just community-wide. I mean, there's gay-straight alliances in you know every high school and most of the middle schools, and none of that existed when Jim and Beverly you know put this incredible organization together. And yet there's still such a need. Talk about what you see as that need being today. Why, do, why is positive images still so important despite all of the GSAs at the local schools? So I think, I think with PI, the three components is, is their support, their advocacy, and education. And I think with our support as an organization, we do a tremendous job. And it's not, it's not only us. It's the leaders. So it's the young youth, um, the young youth, the young, the young adults and youth that really give that support to their peers. And so the things that I do still see that, that need some assistance is uh, the support and advocacy component. And so what I'm seeing in this county in particular is that there needs to be that next level of awareness, that step up to the where we're all on the same page. Uh, we do a lot of panels, we do a lot of trainings, and a lot of the questions that come out from, from our community are, are really basic. And so where we're trying to head is in that way of, of doing more of that outreach um, and, and education for the, the youth that are growing up in a society where they need to feel accepted mm-hmm. um, and loved and appreciated for mm-hmm. who they are as human beings. And so that's, that's really where, where I think the need is at now. Um, GSAs are great. Uh, they do a huge, a tremendous amount of work and support for their students in, um, in their middle schools, high schools, and, and colleges. And there are a lot of people within businesses, other nonprofits, the medical field that are just not at the level of awareness that, that they really need to be at, especially if they're serving a large population of folks that do identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. Mm-hmm. Great. So now you're in your role. You've been there for how many months now? Three going on four months. So this is your opportunity to share your vision uh, with the community. I mean, where's, where do you want to take positive images? So for what, what I've been thinking about is, um, and what I'm really clear on, is for things to be sustainable and efficient, 
I feel like PI needs to have a really, really strong community network. And so what I have seen that is also lacking is that, that connectedness so that in two, three years, our youth have the ability to ask for something. And it's not only just, oh, yeah, maybe we can do that. It's we have all of these networks, all of these people that we're connected to in our community that can support us in doing that, whatever it might be. And so I, I really want our youth to have um, the opportunity uh, and the capability of doing anything that they want, whether that's you know, shadowing a job, whether that's getting into a specific program, uh, starting a new program, uh, and, and just having that. And, and so within the coming years, I, I feel like strengthening our, our network as an LGBT community is is where i'm at with the forefront with positive images i think you hit the nail on the head i mean it's sort of interesting and i've heard this from other guests on the show you know sonoma county is rich with different lgbt groups uh you know certainly pi has been one of the the, the first and uh, and an important visible group for youth uh but now we have face to face and we have food for thought and we have uh LGBT. giving the Giving Circle, the giving circle right, right. LGBTQ Connection mm-hmm. through Voices, and, and now the Fountain Grove Lodge, mm-hmm. you know, really covering the full spectrum of age. Right. Um, but what's been missing is that connection. And the, uh, I won't call it cooperation because I think organizations cooperate, mm-hmm. but just the, the ability to be able to help each other out. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like everybody's in, in for their own fight to try right. to survive. Right, right. So... What do you need from our listeners? How can people help Positive Images? What, what are your needs today? Well, there's always the, the financial. There's, there's always funding that we need, and that will continue throughout the years. But I, what I really think is, is needed is the, the, the showing up and saying, if I want to help, how can I help? It doesn't have to be with money. It could be coming and being an adult volunteer at our support groups. It could be um, putting on different events for us, helping us do fundraising, uh, helping us in in setting up more opportunities for our youth to succeed, but also create a social environment. Because as PI, we can only do so much. And if there were folks out there that were interested in lending their space for a weekend or helping us to, to create more of not only the support but the, the social aspect, I think could be really, really useful. On top of that, we're always looking for volunteers to help with, with simple things of, of recreating curriculum, um, setting up new things within the office, um, helping with more volunteers. So being a person that's actually helping to, to keep log of our volunteer efforts. Uh, and, and, and many, many, many more things to, to do. So how is your board set up? So we have, a, we have eight strong, seven strong board members, um, and we're in the process of wanting to search for two more. And um, we have a president, vice president, secretary, um, and a treasurer. And then there's a few other folks on there that, that are not situated in one position. Uh, they help out where, where they can. Um, but we're always looking for folks that, that are really interested in, in being part of a board. So any particular talents that you're looking for? Uh, fundraising, f- fundraising, you know, development. experience, development, e- experience. And also we really want to, to hit some spots. Right now we're, we're looking at um, someone who's in the paralegal or legal um, – not department, but uh, arena. Arena would be a good word, yes. Uh, and so we're also looking for folks that are maybe licensed MFTs or psychologists and therapists that could be on the board to shed some light through that, and also education. So folks that are within the educational system, uh, whether that be you know middle school, elementary, high school, college, um, 
we would like to see somebody in higher education in, in, in our, on our board uh, so that, you know, those, those are ways that we can get a little bit more information but also have a connection already mm-hmm. within, you know, streamlining that, that networking. Great. Yeah. So where would someone go to be able to offer up their services as either a board member or one of the other talents that you uh, already talked about? With our new website, it's really easy to kind of get in, in contact with us. Uh, if you go to pauseimages.org, again, that's pauseimages.org, uh, and right there you can, you can send a, uh, an email directly on the page if you're looking to volunteer, whether you want to be a board member or if you just want an orientation of our space. Uh, get connected with with our support groups, meeting some of our youth, all of our uh, interactive calendars there, so folks can can see the updated information and where we're located. Great. And well, if you missed that website, we'll have it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page after nine o'clock tonight, or sometime shortly thereafter, hmm. and you'll find that link there. Let's talk with some of the youth members that you brought here. Uh, John, Tracy, and Grayson are here with us tonight. Uh, why don't you each introduce yourself and you know tell tell us where you go to school and anything else interesting about you? Hi, I'm John. I um, have graduated high school. Not currently in college yet, but I'm planning on going to the Santa Rosa Junior College soon. Um, I'm 18. What high school did you go to? I was homeschooled back in Florida. Oh, wow. Okay. So what brought you out here to Sonoma County? Family. Okay. I, had a lot of, I have a lot of family out here and not a lot of family in Florida. So I just, so we decided to move on up here after getting through high school. So what do you think so far? I like California a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so and we'll come back to the question about PI because I'm going to be real curious about you know what that experience was like for you compared to what you what you saw in Florida. But go ahead. Uh, hi, I'm Grayson. Um, I go to a cosmetology school in Napa. Um, I use they them pronouns, or um, like he him is also okay. Very good. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, I went to Summerfield Waldorf in Santa Rosa. Nice. Yeah. Um, interesting place. <laughs> okay. It sounds like there's something to talk about there. I am Tracy. I'm 17 and just taking a class at the JC right now. I um, got my um, diploma equivalent from high school. So. Very good. So let's start with you then about right. Santa Rosa JC. Um, I know that they have done a lot of work in the last couple of years to make their LGBT community more visible and provide more support for LGBT students. Um, we've had some of their staff on, and um, I actually got to participate on their accrediting uh, site visit team that went and really looked. And that was one of the things I spent a lot of time looking at is, you know, how are you supporting LGBT students? And I was thoroughly impressed but from your perspective as a new student, what do you think? What what have you felt there? Um, it's been it's been pretty good. The um, Feminist United Club there does like a ton of work to make it a really um, awesome, welcoming space. I'll admit the gender neutral bathrooms are at the end of a labyrinth, which is something that's you know been complaining. But overall, it's it's good. It's like what I expected from a college and like Sonoma County and it's it's been pretty all right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, you know, let's let's go back to positive images. Uh talk a little bit about how positive images has helped you and and what part of your life uh it's become. 
John, let's start with you. You came from Florida. Uh, how did you find PI, and what drew you to it? So um, when I came to California, it was kind of like a sudden move, so I didn't really know anyone in the area. And I just kind of Googled, like, you know, po- like um, LGBT youth groups because, you know, that seemed interesting to me and, you know, wanted to meet new friends, and I thought that'd be, you know, a thing that, you know, that'd be a cool thing to find. And I found positive images um, on their website, and I went to, like, one of their Thursday meetings, and everyone is like was just super welcoming and nice to me. And um, since then, I've made a lot of friends here at Positive Images. Mm-hmm. Now, were you out when you came to California? Yes. And, and so give us a little bit of comparison. I mean, I've heard all kinds of things about Florida, uh, and I visited there myself, but not as a high school student. Uh, what was it like for you compared to being here in California? Florida is, um, in, in my experience, not as good, not as nice as California. <laughs> uh, there's not many youth organizations, really, like, and certainly not as many LGBT-related ones. Um, it, yeah, there's just like, not as accepting, Mm -hmm. I guess. Okay. Like not like, you know, not as varied kind of like, I mean, Florida's not really the South, but like Mm -hmm. sort of. Oh, it's far enough South. (laughs) It's far enough South, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Grayson, for you, you know, what drew you to positive images and, and what, what impact has PI had on your life? Um, so like I found out that there were more than two genders when I was like 18 or 19 years old and in college. And, uh, when I moved back home, I, uh, I thought like, well, I didn't really have that information. I didn't really have a support network when I was in high school or middle school. I didn't really know, um, that what I was experiencing was, um, was, you know, transness um (laughs) i just sort of thought like oh everybody hates their gender and like certain parts of their body and Mm -hmm. hates it when people use she her pronouns for them like that's a normal thing right nothing we can do about it i guess i'll just suffer (laughs) um (laughs) so basically what i uh what i thought is like well there should be something like that uh like a like a support network for um kids who are just figuring this stuff out and i you know my first thought was like well people need to access the right kind of clothes like a lot of parents won't buy their kids clothes that you know make them feel not depressed and anxious and horrible Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so anyway i was like looking for um people and organizations uh where i could like go and and be like hey are you doing this are you providing this and um i found positive images and i was like well i guess i'll join this this seems great you guys have a you guys have a gender closet and yeah i actually kind of run that now mm-hmm. um tell our listeners what that's all about um basically like the the kids can like go up to this closet at our center and there's um like different uh types of clothes that they might not have access to at home um we have like binders and um like different gender affirming uh items we have like wigs and shoes and um suits dresses um all that kind of stuff and uh 
yeah, basically, if a kid, like, needs something that's going to, you know, make them uh, feel confident to, like, go to school, um, we sort of coordinate that. And it's, like, mostly donations. Fantastic. I mean, that's unique. You're not going to find that at a GSA that I know of Mm -hmm. anywhere around. Can I ask you about your parents? Yeah, sure. Uh, So... (laughs) So have you discussed gender identity and your gender identity with them? Yeah. Um, I came out to them like a, about a year and a half, two years ago. Okay. Um, and just sort of came out generally then um, about my gender. I was uh, out as bisexual by the time I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, for the most part, the, the biggest obstacle I found with with them and, and with anybody I, I come out to um, is they just find it really, really difficult to come to terms with um, the idea that there's, yeah, more than two genders that exist. Yes. Um, so a lot of the time, and and it's a similar thing with bisexuality. It's where people really prefer to think in these black and white terms, this like binary. And when you challenge that worldview, um, people get very defensive and confused and they ask a lot of questions and it gets uncomfortable but um well especially with yeah. the, when it's their own flesh and blood involved mm-hmm. yeah i think um i mean they're generally pretty supportive like i mean certainly compared to a lot of the people i know mm-hmm. um yeah they're they're great but um yeah, I mean, they were born in the 50s, so it's it's a little bit of a stretch, but they're working on it. <laughs> right. And so so does PI have some role in helping parents? Um, yeah, we have a parents of trans youth um, group, but um, it's barely ever attended. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, like, one or two parents will show up and be full of questions and are... Um, Jackie, she's lovely. Um, mm-hmm. We'll, you know, try and talk things through with them, um, but it's not like really a thriving group. I wouldn't say. I, I know it's needed, and and I asked you all those questions because I I just had dinner tonight with two friends, wonderful parents, loving loving parents who are mm-hmm. really working hard to support their transgender son, mm-hmm. and they just they're just discovering this, uh, and of course. Uh, their son is known for some time and, and probably like you discovered, you know, uh, some different aspects of gender identity, but they're really working it. And, and so I talked about positive images and said, you know, there is a group for parents to go. You can go and learn. You don't have to ask your son all the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a really valuable service that the PI continues to provide. Um, that's really critical here. It's mm-hmm. not being met by anybody else. Mm-hmm. The, so that's um, really cool. The education portion, I think, is, like, really important because uh, a lot of the time I find myself moving through life instead of, you know, going to school and just, like, trying to learn. I'm um, also doing a lot of educating. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's nice to go to a place, you know, every Thursday night, Friday is Saturday, Sunday, Monday. uh, (laughs) I'm, like, almost never. Yeah. (laughs) I'm probably at positive images more than I'm at home. Um, But... Yeah, it's just nice to, like, go someplace where you don't have to, like, be constantly explaining yourself. Right, right, right. Tracy, how about for you? Um, Well, I heard about PI through a friend um, who I was going to a different support group, just kind of a generic, like, high schooler support group with when I was, like, 14, 15. And 
like the second I mentioned that I was like pan, they were just like, PI, you've got to come to PI because they were already on leadership at that point and they had just been, and I was like, okay. And, um, I came and checked it out and like, it's one of those like weird, like almost tranquil kind of experiences when you like walk into the room for the first time and just everybody is so like open and accepting and kind just like right Mm -hmm. away and it's like and I find myself like setting it as kind of like the standard for like other spaces now when I like walk into a room but like I mean it never matches like the amount of just like mutual respect in like a PI meeting and like that was my first impression and like somebody walked right up to me and was just like what's your name what's your like who are you (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah and when I wanted to join leadership I was like there's um leadership meetings before like our main meetings that um members are like welcome to come to and we mentioned this um when we like introduce the main meeting and like Every week for like six months, I had been hearing like members are welcome to come to this meeting. And I was like, okay, but I'm allowed to just go in. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like that kind of shy person. And so um, that same friend from that like support group before I had to be like, I'm going to wait outside for you and like walk you in. And um, yeah, it's been, I mean, I've been doing like public speaking i've been on panels i'm like one of the people who announces all the things we need to announce at the beginning of every like big thursday night meetings Mm -hmm. and it's i mean for lack of a better word wild Hmm. how like i mean and it's only been a year since i've been here so great so great um so young people that are out there that are interested uh how do they get involved is there a, do they have to fill out an application is there an interview how do they get involved with positive <laughs> images uh yeah so you just you just walk in yeah um, <laughs> like honestly um every, every thursday at seven at um currently we're having our main meetings at the santa rosa junior college okay, so you're there now. um yeah you just mm-hmm. walk into um bertolini and uh, it's right by the library. So that's the student center. If you're facing the library mm-hmm. from the main courtyard there, it's just to the right, correct? Yeah. And, um, yeah, you, you don't even have to give your name if you don't want to. You, you don't have to talk at all. You can just sit in there and, like, hang out. And how old do you have to be? The the age the age is 12 to 24. And so at times we've had folks that, that have come in that have been a little bit younger. But right now um, everybody that is – part of membership is is no younger than 12 years old okay so 12 to 24 you said yep okay and you just show up seven o'clock thursday nights at santa rosa jc yep Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay what about parking it's a little rough but if if you're coming anywhere um on mendocino if if you turn down elliott that first street to the right there's usually a lot of parking at the end of there so it's a three three minute walk but it's Mm -hmm. closer to the building um, if you want to pay for the night, uh, you can do that. And we're looking at hopefully in the next two months, hopefully that we will have our own space mm-hmm. again. So great. 
And you still have the office on Chin Street, right? We do. We've just outgrown it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember the last meeting that I was at, and it's been some time. Uh, you know, there were like 35 people there, and there was no way you could fit in that space upstairs. So yeah. it's terrific that you've got that many folks coming. Well, it's the start of the new school year, and uh, for LGBT students who are either starting high school or starting college, it's going to be a pretty difficult time, particularly if you're not out. Um, and so we've got some experts. Uh, give some advice to those incoming freshmen at either college or high school. Should you come out right away? What's what? Tell our listeners what they should. What should you do? I mean, I don't know if there's anything specifically that you should do. I mean, it all depends on what you're comfortable with and like your own pacing for yourself. I mean, and your own, you know, situation. I mean, if you don't feel safe at home coming out, like if you think you're like at risk of being kicked out or something, I mean, it's all, um, you know, it's a very personal decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. John, Grayson, either one. Um, I didn't really um, have much experience with like traditional school and like coming out, but... um, from what I found, like, a lot of the time, I mean, sometimes when, you, when you're when you thinking about coming out to people, it can feel like every little thing they've done is, like, proof that they're not going to accept you for it. Mm-hmm. Like, you heard them say one thing that was kind of homophobic, and you just, and, like, it, like when you're thinking about saying it, it's easy to just assume everyone's going to not accept you. Um, but, you know, sometimes it works out. Um, people you, can learn to figure it out. So what, what, do, you, what, what do you think? Uh, is it easier to come out first to a close friend or your parents? Oh, definitely a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the generation gap has like a huge impact on how people mm-hmm. react to this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in general, folks who are in high school, God, when were they born? <laughs> I, I'm out of touch with anybody born after like 1999. I'm yeah. I'm thrown um, <laughs> that I can have like an adult conversation with them. But imagine like, if you were born in 1963, how it feels. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but um, <laughs> Tracy, please help me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I was born in 99, and I would be a senior in high okay, school now yeah. if so, I had dug around. So some of so. these kids were born in like what 2004, 2003, 2004. Yeah. Yep. So for them, it's always been um i mean if you're like gay or lesbian it's always been a little bit more acceptable Mm -hmm. um and i mean i I was only out as bisexual in high school but um man (laughs) let me tell you if you uh if people think you're a girl and they know you're bisexual in high school that is a rough time i am so sorry for anybody who's going through that right now because you know the girls ostracize you and the uh the boys just want to get in your pants (laughs) yeah 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 well we've got about 30 seconds left uh javier tell us again where people can go to learn more about positive images and to get involved they could find us on Facebook, but most everything's connected on our website. So it's pauseimages.org, P-O-S, images.org. And in there you can find all of the things that that you need to get involved, our phone number, our location, uh, direct fax line, email, everything. Perfect. John, Tracy, Grayson, and Javier, thank you so much for coming in tonight and sharing this. I'm looking forward to having you on again and getting regular updates from PI. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.
You're listening to Outbeat News in Depth on KRCB Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, our next guest is a talented writer who you may know from our amazing news partner at The Advocate magazine. Jace Peoples is also a wonderful author and has a new children's book out that I saw at this year's San Francisco Pride Festival. The book is called Square Zer Pair. Jace, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to speak with you, but before we get talking about this new book, talk about your background and what led you into writing a children's book. Wow. Um, well, I actually grew up in a library. Um, my mother was a librarian from the time I was about a year until I was 18, and so I spent lots of afternoons and uh, summer mornings reading children's books and comic books in the in the library, and I sort of uh, cultivated a huge love for picture books that has carried throughout my life. Huh. Did you have any formal training in, in writing, or was it something that came naturally to you? Actually, yeah. I have a degree in creative writing from uh, San Francisco State, and I am actually a reporter, journalist, and writer. Um, for the last five and a half years, I've been the entertainment editor for The Advocate, which is one of the longest-running LGBT magazines in the country. That it is, and it's one of our very treasured news partners. Uh, we do a lot of work with uh, information we get from The Advocate, and we've had Matt Breen and John Barrett on the show a bunch of times, and, and uh, it's a great publication. So let's talk about the book called Square Zare Pair. Tell us about the Zares. Ah, so the Zares are actually awesome little creatures that come in two shapes, round and square, and they do everything in life together, paired up as a couple, one round, one square. But then one day, for the very first time, two square Zares pair, and the village sort of uh, loses its mind for a little while until it realizes that a diverse village is actually a way better village. That sounds a little familiar. (laughs) (laughs) So where did the idea come from? I mean, how did you come up with the concept for these uh, creatures? I was a huge fan of Dr. Seuss um, growing up and and still am today. And I loved the way that he was able to tell a story that had another layer underneath it. And the Sneetches were one of my personal favorites in the way he tackled racism with the star-bellied Sneetches and the plain-bellied Sneetches. Right. But there had never, I'd never really seen a children's book that tackled um, same-sex relationships in a similar way. And so I set out to create one. That's really cool. And, and as I was going through it and reading it, Dr. Seuss came to my mind as well. Um, I remember that from my childhood. And, and you write it in a very poetic way, very Dr. Seuss-like way. So, you know, talk about that process a little bit. You had the concept of a story in your mind. How did you put it into poetry? I actually, at the time when I first started this book, I was in, in college, and I became obsessed with Shakespeare <laughs> and sonnets, and I loved to sort of uh, challenge myself and see you know, what I could write about and the different ways in which I could use iambic pentameter to tell um, a fun story. And my senior year, I actually decided to jump into uh, studying nursery rhymes. And for a project, I did an entire collection of similar stories called Gay as a Goose <laughs> rather than <laughs> Mother Goose and uh, created a cover for it where it was like a drag queen goose. And I just had fun with a lot of silly things that we grew up with. But rather than write about what those things were, I tried to tackle issues that were facing LGBT people and other minorities Fantastic. So there is a a real formalized training process here that's behind all of this. 
I guess you could say that, that that's true. I mean, it's been such a passion project. I hadn't really thought about a lot of the training or a lot of um, various classes that I took before I sat down to write it. But absolutely. Well, and obviously some natural talent behind that as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, talk about the story itself. And, you know, as you envisioned what you want uh, young readers to get from it, what are some of the messages? I think that first and foremost, it's that you can, who, whoever you love or who you hang out with, whoever your friends are, or um, it, it doesn't really matter that you can, you can follow your heart, you can do what you want in life, and that that makes you a better person for it. Um, I think a lot of times people, especially young kids, are taught to sort of make themselves smaller and avoid really doing the things in life that they, they want because they're afraid they're either going to be made fun of or as we get older, you know, I can't date this person because they come from this area or they're the same sex. And I wonder what the world would be like if from a very young age, kids were given the message that, you know, follow who you are right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. What will that generation create? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, it's timely too. We reported a couple months ago about the fair and inclusive education act and, now California finally has some curriculum to go along with that law that was passed in 2012. And uh, part of that requires some discussion about uh, same-sex families, different family configurations, starting in second grade. Do you think that a book like uh, Squares Air Pair could contribute to that discussion? Oh, that is one of my biggest hopes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. What I love about it, too, is that for people who may feel a little uneasy with the idea of talking about same-sex relationships. This does it in a way that gets the concept across, but doesn't pull with it a lot of the old prejudices. And so you're able to have that conversation, but rather than male and female, there's no gender involved with the Zares. It's just different shapes, and Mm -hmm. it becomes a much easier conversation to have. So I can envision a parent reading this to their child, if they're a same-sex couple or if they're an opposite-sex couple, uh, it could start at a much earlier age than second grade. I mean, what's your envision? What's what's the age group that you're thinking about that this story is really geared toward? I, I would say probably between four and eight, sometimes six and ten. Um, but what's really funny is the very first child that I got to sit down and read it to was a one-year-old. Um, he was the son of a couple um, that we know. They're uh, two men. So he sat down and I thought he's one year old. He's not going to sit through this whole thing. Let's just read him a little bit of it. And he sat through the whole thing and was pretty captivated by it. So I say it works for one year old as well. <laughs> <laughs> that must've been a really cool experience for you. It, it was, it was very, very, very sweet. Um, right before we laid him down, we were over at their house having dinner. And before we laid down, or they laid him down for the evening I got the opportunity to read him a bedtime story, and it was Squares Air Pair. Nice. So how did he react to the illustrations? It's really very colorful and um, whimsical in terms of the world that the Zares live in. Yes, I think for that one-year-old that time, I think that as much as I would like to say it was the wonderful story, I think it was the bright and beautiful drawings that kept him (laughs) interested. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. For kids, I mean, that's part of it, too, especially if you're being read to. You're listening, and, and then you're watching and looking at all of the, the images. Uh, who did the illustrations? 
Now, the illustrations are by a wonderful artist. Her name is Christine Knopp, and she is actually a former Disney artist. She used to work um, for Disney Interactive. Huh. And how did you two meet? I was actually on the look for an artist for over a year, and I hadn't found anyone that I felt could really bring the story to life in the way that I wanted. And I was at a convention, um, a comic book convention in the artist area, um, Artist Alley. Mm -hmm. And Christine was there with a table of her own, and she had the most amazing creatures that she had created on display there. And the minute I saw that, I thought, oh, my God, that's this is the person who's going to bring the Zares to life. Nice. So when we met at uh, San Francisco Pride, you talked about a journey that you've been on trying to get this book into the hands of readers. Tell us yes. about that. So early on, I had decided to try to go the, the traditional route, and I had sent it to a few uh, different pub uh, publishers, a couple of different agents, and I had gotten back a couple of notes from one in particular that said in a nicer way than this, but basically that the book was too gay and that they didn't think that they could find a home for it. And the second time that I got a message that sort of smacked of that, I thought, you know, I'm just going to take this on and do this myself. And that's when I looked for an artist, found Christine, and decided to go the Kickstarter route. And the support that came out once we started the Kickstarter was amazing. We raised over $11,000 for the very first print run, and um, it got a lot of positive attention. Wow. So so the Kickstarter campaign is an interesting approach. Who were most of your supporters? A lot of supporters were people who actually wanted a book like this that were looking. Some of them were parents. Some of them were friends of parents, aunts, uncles, teachers who wanted a book that talked about an issue like this and in the way that we were talking about it. So that's great. That's great that there is a lot of support out there and that you're able to, to do that. And, and how is the book being distributed now? I'm actually the one who is distributing it pretty much all on my own. Okay. So, so do you have a website for it? Uh, actually, we have a, a spot on Amazon. Okay. Well, that's so a great spot to be Amazon. if you want to buy a book. That's for sure. Yes. It is available in a few stores as well here in California, including Book Soup and West Hollywood, um, uh, various books, Inc. outlets here in San Francisco. Okay. So in your journey, you also said that you had an experience with the infamous Westboro Baptist Church. Ah, uh, yes. Talk about did. that a little bit. <laughs> um, because I was a reporter and advocate, I had had a few run-ins with them in the past. Uh, they had begun to bully me on Twitter probably about a year ago, and I blocked them. They have about nine or ten different accounts. It's amazing because it's probably the same three people. <laughs> right. They had begun to bully me once the Kickstarter kicked in. And I had gotten a few nasty messages from them. So I wrote an opinion editorial advocate talking about um, the reasons why I was creating a book like this and the need for it. And um, Westboro got wind of that and started bullying me again. And this time they took it a step further and they found some images of Square's Air Pair. And they photoshopped in their hateful little infamous signs into the hands of our characters and they were pretty relentless. They sent us several different versions of that. Wow. Now, yeah, so there's a part of me that thinks that that's a, there's a silver lining in all of that because um, very much like 
they have done for the Matthew Shepard Foundation, when they begin to speak out like that, overwhelming support pours in. Did you have the same experience? Yes. Absolutely. When they when they started to do this, I, at first I was shocked. I don't know why, but I was, I was shocked. It was rather jarring to see a character that you love and were very excited about um, all of a sudden holding up a sign that says, God hates fags. Mm-hmm. But once I got over that initial hump, it's, I, I tweeted it, I shared it on my own social media, and the reaction I got from friends was anger and support. So I thought, you know what? What I need to do is create a space where everybody can come together with this so that we can really show Westboro Baptist Church that you know, love is stronger than hate, as cliche as that, that might sound. So we were having um, a live reading in San Francisco at Books, Inc., and I decided, wouldn't it be great if we created a counter-protest? What Westboro had threatened to come, and wouldn't it be great if they just saw a sea of love and support if they decided to show up? And about a hundred people showed up outside of that that Books Inc. location. Fantastic! And drag queens were there, <laughs> uh, business owners, politicians, friends, so many different people. And Westboro never showed up. That environment that morning was worth everything and really gave me the encouragement to continue pushing on and, you know, try to make Squares Air Pair as available as I can. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting because I think the Vesper Baptist Church has done more for LGBT organizations <laughs> than any effort they've put into trying to defeat them. That's um, true. <laughs> it seems like having them has almost become a good thing in terms of gaining publicity and gaining uh public support because they're so vile. Uh, yeah, because they're so far in one direction. Um, when people see a reaction like that, that's so extreme, that's basically a religious extremist attitude towards something. It really helps people pull back and, and focus on what's important. I think you're absolutely right about that for sure. And I think what's also interesting is, is having looked at the book, it's kind of a stretch to immediately go to, it's a gay book. Because it, yeah. it it could be applied to any kind of discussion around difference, and that's such a huge, big topic in our country right now on, on a variety of different levels. And so for a publisher, uh, as you first experience it, then the Westboro Baptist Church to immediately go to this is a gay story, um, I think is a pretty big stretch. I agree. And that was part of the plan when I set out to write it was that I wanted it to be able to appeal to as many people as possible. So I wanted to re- remove some of the, the tropes. Like I didn't want to make it so obvious that this is a book about a same-sex couple or this is a book about racism or you know, anti-Semitism. It can mean all of those things if you want to imprint it up on that story. Sure. But the, but the baseline you know, message, I think, in the book is that it's about difference and it's about looking at relationships and non-traditional relationships differently, whatever those may happen to be. Um, And it is a wonderful story. What's the reaction been uh, then from the rest of the normal world? What other kinds of feedback have you gotten? It's been, I think some of my favorite reactions are when I get notes from teachers who use it in their classroom and they say, oh, this is one of our kids' favorite books now. And to me that, hearing that sort of, it feels like I've come full circle in that I used to sit down and listen to stories as a kid in the library or in my classroom and feel that way. And now there's one with this message 
out there that I hope to create that is continuing that tradition. Good for you. Are there more books on the way? At the moment, I am working on a second children's book. I have no timeline yet as to when that's going to come out. It's only been about six months since uh, Squares of Apparel was released. So we're going to continue to push with this one. And at the end of the year, we'll probably dive into the new one. Terrific. So tell our listeners where they can go to buy a copy, uh, either online or where they might find it in a bookstore. We are available on Amazon in both hardback and digital editions. So for those people who have a Kindle, it's readily available to download. And one really thing, one really awesome thing that I'm so excited about is we also have an audiobook version that's available. And the narrator is a wonderful woman named Samantha Newark, who is the original voice of Jem from the cartoon Jem and the Holograms. Oh, nice. So th- those three are all available on Amazon. Um, we're also available on Facebook. So if you just uh, search for Squares Air Pair, our page will pop up. And it's available also in Book Soup in West Hollywood and um, in the Castro at um, Whatever Comics. Terrific. And if you missed any of those websites, including the Facebook page, we'll have links on our own website at OutBeatNews.com. The book is called Square Zare Pair, and the author is Jace Peoples. Thanks so much, Jace, for being with us today. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And that brings us to the end of our hour. My thanks to our guest tonight from Positive Images and to Jace Peoples. Remember, all of our shows are available for on-demand play, and we have a brand-new feature on our website that will notify you automatically by email every time a new show is posted. You can sign up anytime at OutBeatNews.com. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond. As we mentioned on the Outbeat News segment tonight, don't forget Art for Life is coming up on Saturday, September 17th, starting at 2 p.m. at the Sebastopol Center for the Arts. This is a benefit for face-to-face right here in Sonoma County. You can learn more at artforlifef2f.com. You're listening to KRCB FM Windsor, Santa Rosa, Radio 91. Online all the time at krcb.org and on your dial at 91.1 and 90.9 FM. It's just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Open Space District is next.